you pray with me? Lord, we acknowledge, God, that you're worthy of all that we are, worthy of our praises, worthy of our attention, worthy of our hearts, worthy of all of our lives. And Lord, now as we open your word, as we hear from you, God, we say you are worthy to speak into our lives. It's it's you we want to hear from. You're the one who brings life. You're the one who brings grace. You're the one who brings love. Lord, we want to hear from you. We open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's uh, so good uh, to have you here at our Thanksgiving Sunday service. If you're new to Bridgman, we just want to say so good to have you. Welcome. Um, And we, we are having our Thanksgiving service this Sunday. Not something that often is celebrated in Australia, but the attitude of giving thanks to God is so so important um, in our lives, and we want to do that uh, really well today. As I was thinking about Thanksgiving, there's this incredibly, actually I'd say profound picture of Thanksgiving in the Bible that often gets missed. Um, It's a story of King David. Now, if you think of King David and you think of the pinnacle of King David's life, I wonder which story comes to mind And maybe I'll just say to you, um, David and, what would you say? Goliath. Most people would say that the pinnacle of David's life would be David and Goliath. It's up there. But I want to say today, there's this little hidden story in scriptures, which I and other commentators would believe is the pinnacle of King David's life. And it is David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, how familiar are you with Mephibosheth? I can't even say it, so that's how familiar I am. I have got to know him a little bit more this week, though. Mephibosheth. Now, let me set the context for this story. Now, King David, at this stage, where we'll read this passage, he's the undisputed king of Israel, powerful. Um, His kingdom has advanced in the, the... passages before, you'll read that they've overcome their enemies, they've captured land, they've captured ground, and it actually says multiple times, wherever David went, God gave him victory. God's hand was with him. Incredibly powerfully, powerful, successful. Within that passage also, it'll say after those victories, he had a heart for God and he bought all the treasuries, all the plunder, and he committed to God. So despite being rich and powerful and successful, he honoured God throughout the process. And we have him in the the peak of his kingdom, and there's this moment that I wonder if he was reflecting backwards and thinking, God, everything that I am, all that you've given me is from you. Because he would have gone back. He grew up as this tiny little shepherd boy. Not a king, a shepherd boy way out in the fields. And even when Samuel came to anoint one of his brothers or one of his family to be the king, they totally missed David and he was out in the field. He was forgotten. But God raised him up. David and Goliath, there he was in the victory. He knew it was God and obviously not him. Then miraculously, David was brought into the courts of Saul to play his harp. It's like, how does that happen to the shepherd boy? 
where's the shepherd boy come from? And he knows that all the way along, it's been God doing this work. Then, in all the challenges and the trials of King Saul wanting to kill him, he, know, he knows that it was God that protected him. And more specifically, he knows that Saul's son Jonathan saved his life, or God did through Jonathan. And so we have King David reflecting and knowing that everything I have in this place of power has come from you. I'm just the shepherd boy. And he says, God, he responds and he asks a question. He says, God, or he asks his courts, is there anyone left in Saul's household? And that is not an uncommon question to come from a king. Let me just show you a line of thought here. Whenever the new king would come into power, he would ask that question, is there anyone left in the house of the last kingdom because I don't want any threats to my kingship? And you can imagine what happens. They rid themselves of any threats from the family of the previous, previous dynasty. That's what would usually happen. But the difference in David's question, he says, is there anyone, anyone in the house of Saul still alive? And then he says, because I want to show them kindness. Kindness. And so we pick up this story in um, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Verse 1, it says, David asked, he says, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him, called him up to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Kindness, actually not just kindness, God's kindness. This is all about God's definition of kindness. What we're going to get is a picture of God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of As we look at this passage, I want to look at it in three specific and distinct uh, scenes. The first scene I want to look at is this man Mephibosheth living in Lodabar. He's the grandson of King Saul. Now, what we know in this passage is that he is crippled. He's crippled. What we read in a previous chapter, in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us how Mephibosheth was crippled. At the age of five, his dad, Jonathan, and King Saul died, and the maid or the nurse that was looking after him at the age of five quickly grabbed him and ran. Can you think while he might have been running? Because they knew that this this kid, this five-year-old, was an heir to the throne, and his life was in danger in that moment. So they picked him up and they ran, but sadly it says in that passage that it She dropped him, and he was crippled in both legs. Now, remember, back then, if your legs were broken, something like that happened, there's no medical treatment that we have now. And and the poor guy, poor Mephibosheth, was left crippled. Now, let's get a little bit of a picture of Mephibosheth's life at that moment. 
Firstly, he was crippled. And I, I just want to say there was no NDIS in that day. There was no NDIS for Mephibosheth. Actually, in the day, anyone who was crippled or disabled was disregarded, they were hidden, um, they were looked down upon. That's Mephibosheth's life since he's been five years of age. Not only that, that he was poor. Here he was, the king's, original king's grandson, but now he's living in the home of another. He doesn't have anything of his own. He's living there. And then the clincher, the absolute clincher for Mephibosheth is that he lived his entire life in fear. He, he knew that if anyone or the king found out that he was still alive, he lived in fear of what would happen. He'd seen the kings that had gone before, he knew the way, and he was living in fear. He was hiding. Uh, lo debar, the, the, the word lo means no, and debar pasture, or others say it's like a nowhere, nothing town. He was hiding there. Not only was he hiding, but he knew that if he showed himself for who he really was, that he would be killed by the king. That was his thought. Can you imagine the sense of freedom that he had? Not too much, huh? Not, not much freedom, not much hope, bound and hiding in Lodabar. That was Mephibosheth's life. What I didn't say when we started this passage is this passage is not only a story of the king and Mephibosheth. This is the story of my life and your life and the great king, God. And what I realized as I read this, I just want you to think, what is the posture of the king towards Mephibosheth? We read it that actually the king was there wanting to show him kindness. The king, king's heart towards him was kindness. But Mephibosheth had lived under the lie or the thought for his whole life that if he showed himself, the king would dispose of him. And so he was hiding. But it wasn't actually the truth. The king had a heart for him. And what happens in our life, in our sin and in our brokenness, we distrust God and we hide. We see it with Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned, they hid from God. Despite the fact that God might have love and grace coming towards them, just like Mephibosheth, we find ourselves bound, we find ourselves hiding, we find ourselves not showing who we truly are because of our incorrect assumption or view of God. That he doesn't love us, that he doesn't care for us, that he's not gracious towards us. And we hide, we hide like Mephibosheth. I'm not sure if you see that in your life. More than that, if you look at the story, I realize as I read this, Mephibosheth being crippled was because he ran, or the nurse was running from the king when he didn't even need to. How often in our life do we run from God and just find that it injures ourselves? Because again, we, we mistrust the heart and character of God. And so here in the story of Mephibosheth, we start to see something of our own heart and our own response 
to the king. Not just the, not King David, the king of this world. God. There we have scene one. That's where Mephibosheth is. Let's look to scene two. If we read on in the passage, it says in verse five, So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Samuel, oh, sorry, Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather. His grandfather was King Saul. He had a lot of land that was restored to him, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Scene two. So in scene two, can you imagine Mephibosheth out hiding in Lodabar, always living under fear, and all of a sudden there is a knock on the door. He might just be listening, and someone says, is Mephibosheth living here? We're from the king. And his heart is filled with dread, and he's, he's thinking, I'm done. I'm gone. This, this is the moment. I've seen this happen before. In an instant, my life could be taken from me. And he's marched back to Jerusalem. I don't know what it looks like, whether he comes through the courts of the king, whether the king's on some type of throne. He's sitting there and Mephibosheth is brought before the king and he falls on his face before the king, full of fear. And in that moment, I don't, I don't know how it happened exactly, but King David looks down at Mephibosheth, this, this crippled man lying before him, full of fear, knowing that he has all authority and all power, looks at him, maybe he tells him to lift your head, Mephibosheth, and says, do not fear. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. There we start to see the king's heart towards him is one of kindness, one of grace, one of love. And don't miss it, this here, this picture of God's kindness, we must, don't walk out of here today without comprehending this kindness. There's two things I want to mention about God's kindness that we see here. The, the first thing is, that it has, oh sorry, that it is totally countercultural. As I have said, every king, if their enemy was brought before, now remember, Saul, um, Mephibosheth's grandfather had tried to kill David. He was running for him for years. It's like an enemy, but he shows love. Everything, everyone would just expect that he would dispose of Mephibosheth as he's brought before the king, but he shows love and grace. It is absolutely countercultural. The love of God is countercultural. It is not normal to love someone like this. This is the heart of God. If you don't know God, if you've not heard a lot about God, I'm telling you now, he loves you so much. He loves you more than 
you can imagine he is not against you, he is for you and he wants to pour out his love and grace into your life. And here's Mephibosheth and he says, do not fear, I'll show you kindness, countercultural love. The second thing about this love is that it has absolutely nothing to do with the, res- the recipient of the love. Let me explain that. When David was asking, he said, is there anyone from Saul's house? They said, oh, there's this crippled guy. And David didn't say, he didn't go, how crippled is he? Like, I mean, does he walk? Um, maybe he's good at numbers. Like, maybe he might be crippled, but maybe he can count or he can do some stuff. Maybe he's really good with his hands because he obviously can't walk, but maybe he's got something to offer. Maybe he'll be good for our kingdom for to some degree, he didn't ask that at all. He said, is there anyone from Saul's house? And they said, yep, he's crippled. He said, bring him to me. He was absolutely determined to pour out his grace and blessing on Mephibosheth, not knowing who he was, not knowing anything about him, because it was nothing to do with Mephibosheth. It was all to do with the heart of the king. And I want to tell you today, that is how God loves you. It, got, it has got absolutely nothing to do with your past, your present, nothing to do with what you bring to the table or what you don't bring to the table. You cannot stop God loving you and carrying this heart towards you and it doesn't matter who you are. I tell my kids, the love of God is like the ocean, the waves. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. You can resist it but it's going to keep coming. I want to tell you, the love of God, the love God has for you has nothing to do with what you do or don't bring to the table. And he calls Mephibosheth up and he says, do not fear. I want to show you kindness. Amazing. That love is there for you right this day. And in one sense, there are only a couple of ways that you can't receive it. The one way that you can't receive it is if you come with pride and you say, can you just, let's just imagine Mephibosheth coming, comes before the king, maybe bows and says, hey, hey, King David, I am really good at counting numbers. You really appreciate that. I can bring that. And I'm really good with my hands. I can bring that. And, and you are so lucky that you've called me up to be a part of your team. Can you imagine Mephibosheth doing that? Now, let me ask you the question. We stand before a holy God who created this whole world and say, God, let me just impress you with what I can bring. Let me just impress you with what I can bring to the table. Nothing. What am I or anyone going to bring to the table, nothing, it doesn't depend. And we have to be very careful that we don't come to God with our pride. We come and we say, God, everything I have is from you, everything, and, and I lay down before you and I honour you. So we don't come with pride. And the second thing is we don't, like if we could sometimes think that we are unworthy. I mean, God could love that person and that person and that person, but he couldn't love me. Is there anyone here that feels unworthy of the love of God? Maybe because 
something of your past, maybe a decision you've made, well, I'm telling you right now, the love of God does not depend on anything you've done, how worthy you are or not worthy. Mephibosheth wasn't worthy. I'm not worthy. No one's worthy, but the king loves you. You have to receive that today, that God loves you absolutely independently of anything you bring to the table. And, and one reflection here too. If Mephibosheth is lying on the ground before God, oh sorry, before David, as his enemy and being crippled, at his absolute lowest, at his absolute worst, and, and King David says, I'm going to show you kindness. If he knows the love and the grace of God in that moment, at his worst, how will he not know that every moment in his life from that point on? What other moment will come in his life that, where there won't be love and grace for him? And if you know that God loves you at your absolute worst and accepts you at your absolute worst, at your most broken, in your worst moment of life, and he still loves you and he still accepts you, then you can live your life in an amazing way knowing that his, his, his grace and love will always be there for you. What security? You need that in your life. I need that type of love in my life. There's only one little insight into this kindness. He says this kindness comes because of your father, Jonathan. It was a covenant that David made with Jonathan. When Saul wanted to kill David's life, Jonathan stepped in and saved him and he saw God's kindness. And he made a covenant with Jonathan to say, Jonathan, any of your family in the future, the same love and kindness I've received from you, I will always show to your family. It was because of his father, Jonathan. And this love for us, that picture of Jonathan, that is the picture of who Jesus is. You want to know who Jesus is? You want to know how, why Jesus is so important? Is when he, he died on that cross, he died and paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. When he died that death, he died the death that we should have died and been separated from God. And we received grace because of Jesus Mephibosheth, because of his father Jonathan, us, you, I, because of Jesus. That is why we make much of Jesus. Because all of God's love and all of God's grace come through Jesus. It is a picture of Jesus. And so let's move then to our third part of this story, the third scene in 2 Samuel. says, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family, huge amounts of estate, everything that he belonged. You and your sons, your servants, are to farm the land for him and to bring crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Amazing. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, just saying there's plenty of servants there to, to um, serve Mephibosheth. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of his sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. That's the story. Mephibosheth didn't just receive a moment of grace that the king spared him. The rest of his life was punctuated by the grace and the love of God. He was invited to sit at the king's table. Day by day, he lived right beside the king. He lived in the king's presence. Can you imagine Mephibosheth woke up in Lodabar, living in fear, hiding, no hope in his life. And then by the end of the day, I don't know how long it took, but at the end of the day, he is sitting with all of his grandfather's properties all reinstated and he's sitting at the king's table. I mean, the king, the king of Israel, that, that big king, that powerful king, all of a sudden he's right sitting next to the king. That's grace. That is grace. His relationship with the king is fully restored. I want to say you are invited to the king's table. You are invited to the king's table to eat with the king, to know the king, that there would be nothing between you and the king. I want to ask a question. Is there anything between you and God today? Is there, is there anything? Because you know what? He welcomes you to his table in grace. Cleanses all of your sin. You do not have to hide. You can come and sit at the king's table. Fully restored. Nothing between you and the king. The king uses all of his power and all of his authority to bring Mephibosheth as close as possible to him. I want to tell you that God has done that for you. God has used all of his power, all of his authority, all of his love to draw you and bring you as close as he can to be with him. Now, relationship is restored, but Mephibosheth now lives a life of intimacy with the king. There is not a day that goes by when Mephibosheth can't talk to the king. Mephibosheth can't ask for grace or help from the king. Not a day that goes by that Mephibosheth can't ask for the king's help or intervention in any matter. He lives with that intimacy. And this is the intimacy and the grace that God invites us to, that you live every day of your life at the king's table. Why? Because you deserve it? No. Because you've got something to offer? No. But because of a gracious king who has loved you and drawn you, and if you humble yourself and accept his grace, you can come and know the fullness of life alongside the king. That is the greatest gift you can ever have. 
And it's on offer for each one of us today. Before I continue, though, I want to just mention a couple of things. The first is, Mephibosheth still had his crutches at the table. Mephibosheth ate at the table, but he still had his crutches. Sometimes we can think to eat at the table that we have to have our lives together. Sometimes we think to eat at the table that we have to have fixed ourselves up, cleaned ourselves up and been perfect in some way. That is not true. Mephibosheth was invited to the king's table and he took his crutches every day. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're all broken people, all tainted with the same crippled, sinful nature. But it does not, it does not um, condemn us or hold us back from the table. We're invited to the table to receive grace. Actually, commentators will say that at the table, Mephibosheth's shame, his, his legs were covered by the tablecloth, the blood of Jesus. We too, our, our sin, our brokenness is covered by the blood of Jesus. We live at the table, broken with our crutches. We live with the pain of our past, the scars of our past. That does not discount us. He invites us to bring all that. But in that, to know that we are loved. In that brokenness, know that we're accepted. In that, Pain, know that God is with us and for us and walking with us. Not that we need to hide, but to come to the character of God, to his love and his grace, that we would know him in that place. The other thing I just want to mention about that is, yes, his crutches are at the table. But Mephibosheth being at the table, what does that say about the king? Can you just imagine for a moment the talk of Israel the day after Mephibosheth is invited to the table of the king? It's like, did you hear that David has asked his enemy, the cripple, to eat at his table? All of a sudden people would realise there is no one discounted from the table of grace. No one discounted. You see something as, as, as he's eating at the table and as we eat at the table of, the, of grace, we see something of the heart of God. We see something of the heart of God that he accepts us in our brokenness, in our weakness at the table. It speaks of the king's heart. What... um. What it says, and this is a message for us, for me, as Christians, do not hide your crutches. Do not hide your weaknesses. Do not hide your sin and your brokenness. As if it's something that we have to keep from God, as if we have to keep our lives fully together to show this shiny look of our lives. We don't have to hide our crutches. 
We are loved with our crutches. We were loved with our struggles. We are loved with our hurt and our pains. And if God loves us, why do we hide them? Like in a sense, we know we are loved. And as people look at our lives and we are loved by the king in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our brokenness, what do they see? They see him. As Mephibosheth is out in the markets and he's trading, he's got his crops and he's bringing them in and trading money, he's got a smile on his face. Mephibosheth, what's going on? Why are you not down there outskirts of town with all the other cripples? It's like, because I have a king. A king who has welcomed me to his table. A king that loves me in my brokenness. A, a king that accepts me for who I am. A king that I can talk to every day. A king that has restored things in my life. And so as he walks, people are seeing the heart of the king. And Bridgman, we need to show the heart of the king. So do not hide your brokenness. Do not pretend you have it all together. Bring your crutches to the table and allow God to love you in the midst of that brokenness. Love you in the midst even of your sin. It does not discount you, but you receive grace in that place. This is the gospel. This is who God is. There is a misconception in this world that we have to get all of our, uh, you know, religion would say get it all together and then you're welcome at the king's table. That's not what the Bible says. We are welcome by grace. This week, through these hampers, 3,000 hampers that have gone out, they've all been a gift of grace. No one expecting them, no one asked for them, in a sense that everyone is getting these hampers as a gracious gift and sign of God's love to them. And I want to say thank you, church, because this is who we are. We receive this gift and then we give it. We give it. David just was generous. That's who we need to be. We, we know his grace and then we give it. And then as we give it, people see the kindness of God. There's a story of one of the hampers someone sent me on a Friday, I think. Someone who took five hampers into their workplace, a big, big workplace, lots of people at the entrance where they all clock in. They put these five hampers. I think we've got a photo on the, on the screen there. There are five hampers on a table and, and just wrote a message there. Maybe you can read it, but it says, um, if you're in need or you've got a friend in need, just take one. And uh, they said they were gone, very quickly gone. But they said that the important fact was it wasn't that these hampers were gone. It was the conversation that started in the workplace. Like, is this what church is about? Like just graciously giving things and loving people? All these conversations started to, to take place. And there was one person that came and said, I've seen those hampers and you know what? I see that kindness. And said, I've got a heart that is rotten. So they said, my heart is rotten. How, how can I change? And this person said, just so wisely, I love the response, was, I can't change a heart, but I know someone who can. And he knows your name. 
And church, we have a, a people who need to know that they are loved in their most broken position, that there's grace for them in that place. And there is a God that more than just loves them, that accepts them, but can turn their life around. And this is who we need to show to the world. In our brokenness, and our weakness, that we show that same grace to them. Today, as we respond in this last song, church, I want us to respond to this grace. Up here on these tables, I have these, firstly, I've got these cards, and it's a reminder to you today that you belong at the King's table. If you've accepted Jesus in your life, it's not anything to do with what, you know, with who you are and what you've done. You have a place at the King's table, intimacy with Him. You can call on Him, know His power, His love in your life. Come and grab one of these to remind yourself, I belong at the King's table. And on the the bottom, it's just got grace. Your ticket is grace. It says, and from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Come and grab one of these today and maybe maybe you're receiving that for the first time. You've heard me speak today and you want to know that love and that grace that your God has for you. Then come and grab one of these today and say, God, I want to receive your grace. I want to receive your love. Keep that. Take a moment each one of us, to thank God for His grace. Also on these tables are ways, like as I said, we need to share this grace, spread, give, give it. And there's these hampers. I want to encourage us to come forward and pray for the person that will receive these hampers, that they would know God's love and God's kindness. There's Christmas invitations there. Maybe there's someone that you want to invite this Christmas. You're not just inviting them to come and experience a great night at Christmas lights, there's an invitation to the table. You want to see them know the same love and the same grace at the table of God. On the other, other cards there, are that, those, that Thanksgiving offering, we, we want to be a church that's continually giving outward. That whole vision of the online hubs, the whole vision of raising up people in the Solomon Islands, the whole vision of church planting is that more and more people can know the same love and grace. Come and and give towards that, that others might know God's kindness. And finally, maybe you just, whether in your seat there or come forward and just ask God, God, is there anyone that you're calling me to show kindness to today? Maybe it's someone that wouldn't expect it. Maybe it's a difficult relationship, but God is calling you to be kind and to show love and grace in that relationship. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're never going to change. Lord, your heart radiates love and grace for us. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone hearing my voice here, for those online, that, Lord, each one by your Spirit would know the fullness of your love, the fullness of your grace, that they are accepted by you with their crutches. We are all accepted, Lord, and loved with our crutches. And Lord, we pray with your help, Lord, we know that in the suburbs around us, people need to know this same love. 
People in this state, people in this nation, people in this world need to know that God, you're a God who loves them and is gracious towards them. And Lord, would there be a movement of your spirit to help us spread this kindness around us wherever we are. This is who we are. It's not a moment. It's not a response. It's it's our life. We receive grace. We give grace. That's who we are. That's who we are as God's people. Like Help us, Lord to continue to be gracious and loving to those around us, we pray. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?